Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our study of the book of Revelation. And the text for the sermon today is taken from Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7. Hear the word of God. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his holy word to our hearts. Dear friends, do you ever get excited when someone you love is coming for a visit? You may be sitting in your home and all of a sudden the phone rings and it's a friend or a family member, a parent, a child, or a close cousin who live far away. You've not seen them for a long time and they tell you that they would like to come for a visit. Well, how exciting that is. And from that point, you count down the days until they actually arrive. And when at last you see them coming up the driveway, you shout out to the rest of the family, they're here, they're here, they're coming. Well, something like that is happening in our text today. John has been focusing our attention on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He does that in the greeting in verses 4 and 5, where he mentions first the Father, then the Holy Spirit, And lastly, the Son, for the sake of emphasis. And he does so again in the doxology that follows in verses 5 and 6, where he writes that Christ is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth. And he does so a third time here in our text. Having focused our attention on Jesus Christ, John goes on to say something very important about him something he wants us to take careful note of, something he wants us to ponder deep down in our hearts. Now, what is it? What is this fact that John wants to draw our attention to? What is this that he wants us to ponder? It's this, he is coming. He writes, behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. John here announces the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's to that subject that we turn our attention with God's help today. Our theme is, Behold, he is coming. And we'll consider, first of all, the absolute certainty of his coming. Secondly, the glorious manner of his coming. And thirdly, the sorrowful response to his coming. John's announcement of the coming of Christ begins with this word, Behold. Behold, he says, he is coming. Now this word is used about 25 times in the book of Revelation. It's a word that calls us to attention. (coughs) It's intended to arouse the mind and the heart to something that's very important, something we need to pay attention to, something we need to carefully consider and ponder. And what is it exactly? Well, the answer is the second coming of Christ. John says, behold, he is coming. Now the verb in the original Greek is in the present tense. John doesn't say 
he will come at some point in the future. No, he says he is coming. And John's use of the present tense is intended to give us the sense that his coming is not limited to some distant point in the future. Rather, (coughs) it's taking place right now. It's like John is saying, he's already on the way. Now there's a sense in which we can say that our Lord is always coming. He left the glories and the riches of heaven to come to this earth, to suffer, to die, in order to save his people from their sins. And throughout his earthly ministry, he came. He came to the sick. He came to the lame. He came to the blind and to the demon-possessed. And he still comes today, doesn't he? He comes in the preaching of his holy and inspired word, even as it comes to you right now. And I wonder if you realize that every time the word of God is faithfully proclaimed, Christ is coming. He's coming to those who hear. And how important it is, therefore, to hear this message and to respond to this message. For those who fail to hear and to respond to the preaching of the word of God fail to hear and respond to Christ himself. But he comes in other ways too, doesn't he? He comes in the administration of the sacraments. The administration of baptism and the Lord's Supper. He comes to every sinner who repents of his sin and calls upon his name, taking up his abode in our hearts. Our Savior is one who comes. But John here is referring to his final coming, which will take place on the last day. He's telling his readers, he's assuring them that Christ is coming again. And where's he coming from? Well, he's coming from his home in heaven. You may remember that 40 days after he rose from the dead, the Lord Jesus Christ ascended up into heavens, up into heaven, in the sight of his disciples, on the top of the Mount of Olives. And there he was seated at the right hand of his Father, and he remains there to this day, gathering, defending, and preserving his church. And now John announces to us that he's coming from there. He is coming from heaven. What a comfort that must have been to the original readers of this book. As we mentioned before, when John was writing this letter, persecution was on the rise. John himself had been exiled on the Isle of Patmos. No doubt many of the believers to whom John was writing wondered what would become of them. The government was not afraid to put their hands on John. What about them? What would become of the church? Would it survive? Would they be vindicated at last? Would Christ be victorious in the end? And to that question, John answers with a resounding yes. Behold, he says, he is coming. What a comfort that is for us as well. Like the original readers of this book, we too live in uncertain times. Rights and freedoms are being eroded, including the right to worship. Economically, we're probably heading into a recession of some kind. Some experts claim that we're on the brink of major food shortages. Our climate is changing. and Some say this will have catastrophic consequences on the environment. Opposition to the Christian faith and morality is also on the increase. 
And when we look around us and we see what's going on, we may well wonder, where's all this heading? Where will we all end up? And what about the church? Will the church even survive? Well, we don't know the future, but this much we do know. He is coming. And when he does, he will defeat his enemies once and for all. And every knee will bow before him. And every tongue will confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And he will take his rightful place on his throne in heaven. And he will reign with and over his people forever and ever and ever. Oh, my friend, are you ready for that? There's only one way we can get ready. It's by repenting of our sins and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and embracing him as our Lord and Savior and King. Have you done that? If you have, does that also show itself in your life? Second Peter 3, verses 10 and 11, the Apostle Peter writes that when our Lord comes again, the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. And then he tells us how we are to live in light of these events. He says, therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? It's like Peter is saying, Christ is coming. Therefore, be holy. Pursue after holiness with all of your might. What are you doing that today? How terrible to be living in sin when our Lord returns. Imagine the Lord returns while you're watching certain shows and movies on television or visiting certain websites or thinking certain impure thoughts or using foul language or desecrating his day or living in disharmony with your brothers and sisters in the church. What will you say to him? What will he say to you? If you're not pursuing after holiness in this life, my friend, you're not ready for the life to come. Nor are you ready for our Lord's second coming. And therefore the message of the gospel to you is repent and turn from your evil ways that you may live. Yes, Christ is coming. What is the manner of his coming? That brings us to our second point. After announcing that Christ is coming, John adds he is coming with clouds. Now, clouds figure very prominently in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. On the Mount of Transfiguration, a cloud overshadowed Jesus and the disciples. And a voice came out of the cloud and said, This is my beloved Son, hear him. And when Jesus ascended into heaven in the presence of his disciples, we read that a cloud received him out of their sight. And here we learn that when Jesus comes again, he will come with clouds now, Jesus himself affirms this. In Matthew 24, verse 30, Jesus said to his disciples that on the last day, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and that all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Similarly, in Matthew 26, verse 64, after the high priest asked Jesus if he was the Son of God, Jesus said to him, It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, Hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming on the clouds of heaven. 
So why will Jesus appear with clouds? What does this mean exactly? Well, some suggest that the clouds are a form of transportation. And they base this on the fact that the clouds in Scripture are called the chariot of God. God rides on the clouds like a soldier rides on a chariot. And they apply that to our text. And they say, well, this is simply saying that Christ will come back to earth on the clouds. The clouds will be his chariot, his means of transportation. Now others say that the clouds are simply a symbol of his heavenly origin. Clouds are in the heavens. And so the fact that Christ is coming with clouds simply means that he's coming from heaven. Now there's truth, of course, to both of these views. But it's likely that something more than this is meant, at least in this context. It's likely that the word clouds here is a metaphor for the glory of God. You may remember after the tabernacle was completed that a cloud of glory rested upon it, and it's called the Shekinah glory of God. The same thing happened at the dedication of the temple. In fact, on that occasion, the cloud was so thick, we read that the priests could not enter into the temple. It was a glory that was so concentrated that it formed a kind of cloud. So when John says that Christ is coming with clouds, he probably means he's coming with great glory. This will be no ordinary glory. The glory with which Christ comes again will be a glory never seen before. In Exodus chapter 33, when Moses asked God to see his glory, God told him that he could not see his face, for no man could see him and live. And so what did the Lord do? Well, he commanded Moses to stand on the rock. <coughs> and when he passed by in his glory, he put, his, he put him in the cleft of the rock, and he covered him with his hand. And then he took away his hand, and he saw his back. But his face... He did not see. In Exodus 33, the glory of God was veiled. But when Christ comes again, it will be unveiled. And what is more, it will shine all the more gloriously. More gloriously than ever before, in fact. Because when he appears, all will be dark. Matthew 24, verses 29 and 30. Jesus says that, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, <coughs> the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So the whole universe will be dark, pitch dark. It will be like God will shut off all the lights of heaven. And at that moment, Jesus says, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Nothing is as bright as that which is set against a pitch-black backdrop. And such will be the case when Christ comes again. He will come with clouds, meaning he will come with great, yes, even unsurpassed glory. And rightly so. For he is the exalted King of kings and the Lord of lords and the divine Son of God. There is no more fitting way for him to return to this earth than in great glory.
My friend, are you ready for that too? After Moses met with God on Mount Sinai, when he came down the mountain, his face shone with the glory of God. It was so bright that the people of Israel urged him to wear a veil, which he did. Well, if the people could not look on Moses, whose face merely reflected the glory of God, how will we respond when Christ comes in the full glory of his person? Well, believers will respond with joy. For at last, they will see the face of the one who died for them and rose again. But unbelievers will respond in great terror. And that brings us to our third and final point. John writes in our text that when our Lord returns, every eye will see him. So every single person on the face of the planet will behold his coming. Now, that implies two things, doesn't it? It implies, first of all, that his coming will be both literal and physical. Now, modernist theologians deny that. They say that when the Bible speaks of Christ coming again, it's speaking only spiritually and figuratively. And when it says that every eye will see him, it means nothing more than that every mind will perceive him. But that's not what John says. He doesn't say that every mind will perceive him. He says every eye will see him. When Christ comes again, he will come really and substantially. His coming will be literal and physical. Secondly, the fact that every eye will see him also implies (coughs) that the coming of Christ will be visible to all people on earth. Now, there are those who deny this. And they say that Christ will return twice. The first time he returns, he will return secretly. And when he does, believers who are on earth will suddenly disappear. They will be raptured, as they say. And following that, there will be seven years of tribulation, after which Christ will come again, this time visibly, and he will reign on the earth, in Jerusalem, in fact, for a literal thousand years. Now, there's much we can say about this. But suffice it to say right now that John makes no mention of two comings of Christ, one secret and one visible. Nor does any other writer of Holy Scripture. On the contrary, the Bible consistently speaks of Christ's coming as a single event that will be witnessed by all. Matthew 24, verse 30, Jesus said that all the tribes of the earth will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And in verse 27, he says, As the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So when Christ returns, all men will see him. That means not just believers. Everyone will see him. John says, even those who pierced him Now John here is echoing the prophecy of Zechariah 12, verse 10. There Zechariah writes, And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. And then he says this, Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Well, who are these people? Well, at one level, John here is referring to the Roman soldiers who literally pierced the body of the Lord Jesus 
when they plunged the javelin into his side to make sure he was really dead. And John says as much in John chapter 19. For after observing that the soldier pierced the side of the Lord Jesus with a spear, John writes this, For these things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled, not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, They shall look on him whom they pierced. So John is telling us that when Christ returns, the Roman soldiers who pierced him with the javelin will see him, for they too will be raised from the dead just like everyone else. But at another level, John here is also referring to the Jews, for they, as well as the Romans, were responsible for putting our Lord to death. And yet at still another level, this refers to all of us, doesn't it? For in a sense, we all had a hand in putting our Lord to death. We're all guilty of murdering the Son of God. We all pierced him, in a manner of speaking. And some continue to pierce him still, by their sin and by their persistent unbelief and their stubborn refusal to be converted to Christ. Charles Spurgeon writes this. He says, They also who pierced him are by no means a few. Who have pierced him? Why, those that once professed to love him and have gone back to the world. They also have pierced him whose inconsistent lives have brought dishonor upon the sacred name of Jesus. They also have pierced him who refused his love, who stifled their consciences and refused his rebukes. Alas, that so many of you should be piercing him now by your base neglect of his salvation. They that went every Sunday to hear him and that remained hearers only, destroying their own souls rather than yield to his infinite love, these pierced his tender heart. Oh, my friend, do you realize that today? If you're not saved, you are guilty of piercing the Lord. And the longer you live in your sins and unbelief, the longer you refuse to repent and be converted, the longer you refuse the overtures of God's grace and the sweet invitations of his gospel, the more and more deeply you pierce him. Does that describe any of you listening to this sermon today? If so, my friend, I urge you to stop. Stop piercing the Lord. Repent and believe on his name while there is still time. And if you don't, well, then you'll be among those who mourn. John tells us that when those who pierced him see the Lord coming with clouds, they will mourn. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Jesus says the same in Matthew 24, verse 30. When he says that the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. Now this too is a reference to Zechariah 12, verse 10. There Zechariah writes, And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, that they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him, as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Zechariah here tells us that when men look on the returning Christ, 
they will mourn. And you'll notice this is no quiet weeping. The word here can also be translated as wail. All the nations of the earth will wail. They will weep and cry as one who is totally and utterly distraught and undone. Spurgeon says they will wail as a mother laments over her dead child or as a man who has found himself hopelessly imprisoned and doomed to die. Jesus says their mourning will be so intense that they will call on the mountains and the rocks, saying to them, Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne. Hide us from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Such will be the hopeless grief of all the kindreds of the earth at the sight of Christ coming on the clouds of glory. They will wail because of him. And why will they wail? They will wail because they will realize that they were wrong about him all along. They were wrong to deny him. They were wrong to reject him. They were wrong to despise him. They were wrong to refuse him. They were wrong to fail to serve him and to live for him and his glory. They were wrong. And now they must bear the consequences. Now they must spend an everlasting eternity in hell in a place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. One writer says this, Christ rejected an offered salvation neglected, a day of grace wasted. This is the kind of thing that will give the lost sinner his keenest anguish and wring from him at last a bitterer wail than the devil's ever uttered. And so what about you today? What will your response be to the coming of Christ? People of God will rejoice. Why? Because when he comes, they will see his face, the one who suffered and died and rose again for them. When he comes, they will be vindicated at last in the eyes of the world. When he comes, he will create a new heavens and a new earth wherein dwell righteousness and he will destroy sin and Satan and death and his people will live and reign with him forever and ever. What a cause for rejoicing. But unbelievers will not rejoice. They will mourn and weep and wail, oh my friend, which will it be for you? Christ is coming. He's coming, even as we speak. Do you hear his footsteps? Are you ready to see him? Amen. Dear friends, it's our great joy to be able to preach to you the word of God every Sunday on this station. If you were blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Please take the time to write us a short note. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386, Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can email us at bannerofTruth at frcna.org. And please indicate the call letters of this station. If you take the time to write to us, we'll gladly send you free of charge a wonderful booklet entitled Faith of Our Fathers. In this booklet, Pastor Neil Prunk, the former radio pastor of this program, explains the so-called doctrines of grace, otherwise known as the five points of Calvinism. And we hope that it may be a rich blessing to you.
Please note that we do not send out CDs of our radio messages. However, you can access and download all of our messages at any time from our website if you go to www.banneroftruthradio.com. That's www.banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. You can send all donations to our address, and that's 3386 Mount Lehman Road, L-E-H-M-A-N, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X 2M9. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.